Welcome to the workshop, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, Body Image. I'm Pat. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this session. Thank you. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. The format of this session is as follows. Three speakers for 20 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers, finishing up with 15 minutes of open pitches. This session will be taped, so you will need to sign in on the tape release form before you're sharing. Please turn off all cell phones, pagers if they're still in existence today, <laughs> during the duration of this meeting. And remember that it is against our tradition of anonymity to take photos during the meeting. Always ask permission. The topic of this session is, I can't take my eyes off of you, body image. Our first speaker is Tom. I'm Tom, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I am really happy and honored to be here to talk about this. And what I'm finding is if it comes to talking about food plans, it's really easy. This topic is tough. But I was inspired by a fellow for two years ago in Sacramento. There were a bunch of us at the convention, and we were all outside, and we went swimming during the break. And I took off my shirt, and the women who were there were all in bathing suits, and we were swimming around in a way that would not have happened for the recovery. And I'm really struck thinking about that, particularly as, um, as we talk about body image. Um, so a couple of things. I have two sets of the same pictures to pass around. And I just want to show you my uh, favorite pre-recovery pants. These are a pair of sweatpants. And actually, in terms of body image, I really thought I looked hot in them. And what I also loved about them is they're reversible, so I could even be more sleek with the stripes. But if I didn't risk falling off the stage, I would pull one leg over my body, and that's really how they fit. Um, they're black, and I hid in them. I entered the program three years ago last week. Um, I came into this program at 285 pounds. I was 43 years old. I had a 42-inch waist, a 19-inch neck, and that's how I arrived in the program. Today, I'm between 225 and 230, a 36-inch waist, 17-inch neck. And since that time, I haven't eaten sugar, potato products, or bread, because when I eat those things, I don't stop. And I have three meals a day with a reasonable plate size. Um, what I do for my program, I just want to get through the qualification and then talk about the body. But um, what I do for my program, I wake up each day and pray. I also, which is something I hadn't done before program. I think I did it when I was a boy, but I don't remember that far back. Um, I also read. I have a writing assignment or a reading assignment now where I'm reading from the Lifeline Sampler. And I also read Voices of Recovery every day. 
Right now I'm working on my fifth step, so my writing is all about the tenth step, and I meet with my sponsor every few weeks and give away the fourth step, which is the fifth. I have people I sponsor, and um, I have a close relationship with my sponsor. I call in my food every day. I write it down. I also call in those agreements I didn't adhere to the day before. I attend a minimum of three to four meetings a week, and I have got service positions. I'm a speaker getter because I travel in my job. That's what I do, and I use the telephone a lot. So when it comes to talking about body image, I just want to take 449 of the third edition of the big book. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact in my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, and thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. When it comes to acceptance, the, one of the hardest places I find accept, acceptance is my relationship to my body. It's just impossible. I wasn't a fat kid, but I spent all of my adult years um, about, did I tell my weight? Yeah, about um, 55 pounds overweight. And I want to talk about this um, in a couple different ways. The cruel, I don't know, the disease, the insidious, the insane way that I deal with myself around food is the same part of my disease that affects my relationship to my body. There's just no doubt about it. The same craziness, the same cruelty, the same insanity around it. And I want to actually talk about this from a couple of different vantage points. The first vantage point is from a point of view of honesty, the second is from a point of view of resentment, and the third is, um, I don't think it would be fair to talk about this subject without talking about sex, which is a little terrifying. Anyhow, um, you know, in the 12 and 12, denial of the truth leads to destruction. Only an honest admission of ourselves, of the reality of our condition, can save us from our destructive eating. And that comes from the OA 12 and 12. And when it comes to honesty, and the way it was for me, is I was completely dishonest about my body. I was utterly delusional. Um, a couple of things come to mind. A couple of the pictures, I'm, I'm showing some topless pictures in this one, which is kind of a stretch for me. My, my niece sent me some pictures over. And, you know, I was looking at those, and I said, well, was that before or after my weight loss? I had absolutely no idea the difference between what I look like now and the difference between what I look like then. I have absolutely no idea. And that is just how cunning, powerful, and baffling this is. The other thing that's slightly embarrassing, but I saw one of the pictures, I have man breasts. And, you know, and had I known about, I didn't know that before. And I had to go to my partner the other day and I said, you know, did I used to have those? And he said, yes. I was shocked. Because if you would have asked me back then if I, if I had them, I would have said no. And that's just how confused I am about things. The other thing is I'm a, I'm a liar. You know, that's part of, you know, who I am. It's one of my character defects. And, like, one of my objectives to speak today is to tell the truth in everything I say, which is not that easy because I love to embellish. But um, <laughs> one of the things is, um, you know, I was single for a very, very long time when I was fat. And... Single and dating was a very difficult and painful thing. However, I did one of those electronic dating services, and 
what I did is I put the profile in and I lied about my weight. I put the weight that I am now on the profile and showed up on these days pushing 300 pounds. And actually, I would meet with a lot of people who you know, weren't very happy with the date. And I would, you know, shocking, you know, what could it be? It could be my great heart, my personality, all that other kind of stuff. Perhaps it was because I'm a liar. And the truth is, I would leave those dates, and I would just say to myself, oh, my God, it's a fattest culture. Oh, my God, they can't tolerate body fat. Look at these people. They're going to have to get used to it. I just went on this tirade. You know, the truth is, perhaps they didn't want to spend the evening with a liar. And that's painful to admit. It's my side of the street. But when it comes to my relationship to my body, I, I'm just, I'm getting more and more awakened around it. If I took off all my clothes now, it would look like a roadmap of Europe. I'm telling you, with the weight loss and the with all the lines and the little divots and, you know, the this and the that. And, you know, I see pictures of myself now. And, you know, the weight loss, you know, it's a cruel and devastating disease. And, you know, that's the way it manifests on my body. However, I can deal with that, look at that, understand it, and even laugh about it sometimes, which is really speaks to the recovery. Because prior to recovery, um, anyway, I just couldn't look at myself. You know, that's just the bottom line. I, did, I like my eyes. So every time I saw myself in a mirror, I would just look in my eyes. But you know, from here up and from here down, you know, it's like I was the, um, the invisible man. And that's, um, you know, that's a real big part of what it was like for me. The other thing, I'm obsessed with notes. So I just have to indulge this obsession for a moment. Anyhow, the second part, there's a great quotation from the big book that I found this morning about resentment. And it was all around the fourth step and how resentment just utterly fuels our disease. And in terms of, I don't like to view myself as this way, but when I was eating, you know, I was both fat and angry. You know, there was just no getting around it. And Two examples come to mind with what it was like. Now, one of the things that you see, the only time I really photographed when I was heavy was with children. I have a, I'm an uncle. I have nieces and nephews. They light up my life, and I couldn't deprive them when they want a picture. So that's, you know, why there's so many kids in the photos. And one of my, my darling little niece came up to me and said, Uncle Tom, how come you're so fat? And... I, the, the poor kid, I, I thought, okay, I really need to address this. And in my diseased self, I pulled all the children around, put them in a circle, and explained to them, I think at the top of my lungs, how some people are just fat. And we have to get used to being fat. And you might be fat someday. And I, and it went on and on and on and on. And I, I finally had an out-of-self experience, and I looked up, and the children were just terrorized. You know, they didn't know what hit them. Here's this man yelling at them. They could deal with my fat. The truth is, I couldn't deal with my body. The truth is, if someone, I, um, I had a doctor once, you know, and I heard this a lot in these rooms, who wrote the word obese in my chart. And of course, you know, because I'm a liar and snoop, just had to find out. And I changed doctors. Because how dare they write something I got about me? You know, 
it was true, but that doesn't matter. They shouldn't be writing that stuff. And it's, um, you know, it's just, that's my relationship to my body. There was another time I, um, I'm in a, it's in a movement community, and we were down at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur. And I'll never forget this moment, and it was, you know, you kind of dance and you move. It's a very powerful thing. And our dance teacher was filming a video. And, you know, we had to sign releases like this one to, you know, make sure that your picture could be seen on a video. And I'm at this long table. There are probably 18 people there. And I'm sitting at the head. And, of course, what I remember so clearly is I had two blueberry cobblers in front of me because I was afraid they were going to run out. So I'm sitting at the head of the table with my blueberry. And someone innocuously says, Tom, are you going to dance in the video? And I, I can't remember, I can't mention her name, but I said, so-and-so is out, you know, I get the voice and the rage. So-and-so is out to sell videos. They do not want a fat, middle-aged, gray-haired man prancing around because that is not going to sell videos. And I am going to spoil the video. And I wouldn't, you know, and I looked up, and of course my voice is, you know, it, it ignited something. My voice was higher than it could be. I looked up, it was mortifying. All these people were looking at me shocked. You know, but that's how my rage hits. And my, when it comes to my body, I sometimes get rageful. After recovery, it's way less. But that's just what happens. That's my disease speaking. That's myself calling me names for eating more chicken than I agree to. You know, that's really the heart of the disease, and that's really how it affects um, how it's really affecting my body. So I carry around all this rage. Don't realize, you know, I am the size I'm at. Um, the last thing I, I kind of want to talk about what it was like, and it's um, you know, it really has to do with sex. And I want to find the quote on this because. It says it in the big book better than I could probably say it. Funny the way that works. Now, about sex. Many of us needed an overhauling there. But above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off track. And what I want to say about myself is most of my adult life, I've been single. And what I also want to say is I've had sex with people I wouldn't lend my car to in terms of, <laughs> and it's slightly embarrassing, but, you know, you can live through a fourth step. You can live through such things. And I also wasn't really interested, quite frankly, in many of the people. I was more interested. I was so, I was so spent. I was so beaten up. I mean, if I had walked down any street in San Francisco with a big sign on my hat that says, pick me, that's really the attitude I would have brought because I didn't think I was worthy. I didn't think I was worthy of anyone to date. I didn't think I was worthy of anyone to be sexual with. That's just the way it worked. I was so desperate and so alone that anyone who looked at me twice or anyone who actually would have dinner with me before the other part of a date, you know, that's how I chose. And anyone who called back would get to date me. That really is where my self-esteem, um, that's really where my self-esteem lived as far as sex goes. Uh, the other thing, you know, I, I was thinking about it this morning, I was kind of praying on this, is some of the things I put up with, 
because I had no sense of self and I felt so unworthy. I remember, you know, having an encounter with someone one time and after it was done, turned around and said, you know, I've always loved fat guys. My mother was fat and I'm really into this. And I said, wow, that's really cool. Do you know how devastating that is? You know, I mean, I was completely asleep at the wheel. I was the object of someone's fetish. But then again, to be fully accountable, they were the object of mine. You know, I always was never happy with the body I had. I mean, from the time I was young, I always wanted to be chiseled. I always wanted to be like the men in the magazine. I always wanted to be buffed. Well, guess what? I'm curvy. You know, it doesn't work that way. I'd look weird. Or I'd have to take steroids, which is, thank God, one drug I haven't gotten addicted to. But, uh, but the truth is, you know, just coming to acceptance from my body shape has been the hardest thing. And, you know, sex is really, for me, the great test of that. And, you know, as I said before, I would enter into some relationships and some encounters, and I couldn't even look at myself. You know, I, I could look at the other person, again, the eyes, but... God forbid I should look down. I was all belly, you know. God forbid I should look down and see my belly. It would completely take me out of an unconscious experience. You know, it would just... uh, (laughs) But it would just remind me of that. And I was also with people I really had no business being with. And I couldn't find love. You know, I, I just, I wasn't able to love myself and thought this would happen. So um, it's uh, it's kind of a painful kind of a painful thing. I could always and, and then the other thing about that is I always focused because I felt so grateful that someone would go out with me. I always focused on other people's pleasure rather than my own. So I became the great sexual pleaser and like didn't even pay attention to what was happening to me or what my needs would be, only because you know maybe they'll ask me out again or maybe they'll buy me dinner joke. And <laughs> you know, we're competing with lunch here. It's, uh, it's a, but uh, anyhow, it's, uh, you know, it's just a very, very, you know, very, very painful part of my experience. It wasn't until recovery that I could really look at myself without clothes on and look, look around when I'm in, a, in an appropriate sexual encounter now. I can kind of look up, see what's going on, see different body parts, and not just close out that entire part of myself because, you know, it's the same type of denial, you know, that I used to have when I'd wear those pants and say, draw the fat knees. You know, well, duh, I was fat. And it's, um, it's just, I, I really say that I'm flipping, I'm being flippant with that word, but I say that lightly now. I wasn't able to say that for most of my adult life. I couldn't use the word fat without crying or, or getting so pissed off I'm ripping little kids' heads off. So that's what I want to say. Um, the other thing, so it, it's those three areas where kind of my hatred of my body and my disease manifested itself in that way. Um, a couple of things happened. Um, you, know, you see all those kids in the picture. We're up at Lake Tahoe, and I got in a very life-threatening auto accident. And it almost killed me. But I didn't care about that as much because I cared more about my nephew. I would hate to have... I would think... I'm going to talk really fast. I would hate to have him killed. And it was just really tough. Also, 
I fell in love with someone, someone fell in love with me and didn't care about my body size. I actually kind of liked it, didn't mind it, but really saw what was underneath that. I couldn't have done that. I really viewed it as a gift from God. I remember being, for those of you who know Highway 80, at the Gold Run truck exit. There's a, a place to go to the bathroom. And I remember being there. There was a woman I knew who was in program. I knew her from our dance and exercise class. I, I, for, somehow I knew she was in the program. I got her number, called her, said, I'm happy you're here. You know, what is it that you start eating that you don't stop? Tell me what your food is tomorrow. And there's a meeting on Friday night, and you'll like it. And I just obeyed her. Obedience is not one of my things. Um, and I just thought, well, this is right. I got into the OA meetings. I didn't have a big old, you know, I, these aren't my people. These people are Martians. I always felt these are my people. And I've been there ever since, and I just love it. I can't tell you how different my life is now. And, you know, a couple of things that are different. Um, number one, I can open my eyes during sex which is a very nice thing to have happen. And I'm also not with a stranger, which is a very nice thing to have happen. When I catch myself in the mirror, I can actually look back and think, huh, not bad. When someone wants to have their photo taken with me, guess what? I can have it taken, and I'll actually look at it. I can also wear striped shirts, which is a big deal, particularly when, you know, one has been heavy. And God's really delivered on my life in ways, if you had asked me three and a half years ago if, if I could be thin, you know, if, if I could not be heavy set, um, I wouldn't believe you if you told me the answer. Uh, the other day I was reading from Voices in Recovery, and I just want to wrap it up by reading, and this is from page 181 of the Voices, and it really speaks to me about um, how to navigate through the whole notion of body image. Um, love your imperfect self and your imperfect world. For if you cannot love life the way it is, you will suffer, suffer from internal loneliness. We all live in an imperfect world, surrounded by imperfect people. The ability to love yourself and choose around you is the gift from God that enables you to live fully, bravely, and meaningfully in an imperfect world. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Our next speaker is Jennifer. Hi, my name is Jennifer, and I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi. I've been married to the same man for 15 years that I met in the third grade. I have four children, a boy who's 13, a girl who's 11, a boy who's 8, and a girl that's six with autism. There's a point, but I'll get to that in, in a few minutes. My highest weight was 285 pounds, and my lowest weight was 140 pounds. So I understand seatbelt extensions on the airplane. I understand trying to get on a ride in an amusement park and them saying, sorry, you don't fit, you need to get off. But I also know what it's like to be so mal, just without the, with the malnutrition and to have the circles under my eyes and green and fainting because I haven't eaten. And um, today it doesn't have to be like that. You know, I, I have issues with food, can you tell? And 
according to today and the BMI, everyone understands BMI, we know that, I'm overweight. You know, I can't pay attention to those numbers because this is where my body wants to be today, being abstinent and exercising with um, the way that my higher power, who I choose to call God, wants me to be. And up here wants to be 110 pounds, <laughs> but in here I know where I need to be today. I remember five years old, the first time food did for me what I couldn't do for myself. There were three Rice Krispie treats left. I went to see my mom. I said, can I have the last Rice Krispie treat? She said, yeah. Then I pounded the three, and I thought, this feels good. This feels good. Feels good in here. And um, I entered Overeaters Anonymous when I was 16 years old. I have a, a, someone in my life who is also bulimic and went into treatment, and, and I have parents who also joined. So I started, and they all quit. So I was, I was there, and um, I stayed till I was 22 and that's when I left at 285 pounds because it wasn't working. And um, during that time, I love pages uh, 11 and 12 in the OA, 12 and 12. And um, it talks about everything that, that I had done. It talks about binging. It talks about starving. It talks about compulsive exercise. It talks about taking pills. I took pills even if they weren't prescribed to me. I looked around, you know, anything for that speed to speed up my metabolism. I've done everything in there except for having my ears stapled and my jaw wired. I wasn't too sure about that one, but if I had heard about it, I probably would have done that too. I also got gastric bypass surgery. And I've met a number of people who have had that in program and some that are thinking about it. And with gastric bypass surgery, I ended up going back up to 230 pounds, and that was the last time I weighed. I know it was more than that. And to say that uh, for me, this disease is up here. It's not down here. And um, I've been in the nut house twice. I call it the paper slipper club. If anybody else has been there, you'll understand that. And I've been in treatment twice. The first time I was there, I couldn't fathom eating three meals a day. I couldn't fathom. So I sold other people's food. I purged it in the bathroom, and they were blaming someone else, and that was okay with me. And I decided to leave early. Um, and as I left, they said, bye, Jennifer, we'll see you again soon. And I, I'm not going back there. And three months later, I was on their doorstep when I'm back. And that's when I started getting it, started getting it. Um, when I, I worked the program the best of my ability while I was in there. And then when I came back to my hometown, um, I found an OA meeting. But I couldn't go in. I couldn't go in. First, I had to go to the supermarket next door. Eat, eat, eat. I went to the alley behind. I got rid of it. And then I am truly, they say stumble into OA. I stumbled into OA, and I saw a woman who was there back when I was 16, and I fell in her arms and sobbed the whole entire time. She said later, I smelled really good. <laughs> anyway. Um, the, then the second time, I needed, I did the same thing. I went to the supermarket, went behind, came in, saw the same woman. She went like this. She knew it was coming, and, and I went and fell in her arms. But during that time, I could hear a little something. 
I heard a woman who was insane as I was, but was working the program and had found some type of peace within the insanity. I thought I like her. And um, I asked her to be my sponsor. <laughs> we need each other in this program. She's a miracle in my life. She truly is. She taught me balance. She taught me that it didn't matter how many years I went to church, I needed to get a true spiritual program for myself. And it's fine. I still go to church, religious. But I have to have a spiritual program. I need to have a physical program and an emotional. And that that balance is so incredibly important in my life. Because I can exercise like crazy and still be whack and not spiritual. I can do each one of those individually and it's not going to work. Because, you know, the big book says what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition. And that tells me I need to work every single day. I call it the slide. I'm on my bed in the morning and I slide out onto my knees. My, the, the rule is my feet can't touch the ground or I'm in trouble. I'll, I'll forget to do it. But I slide right down. And it's the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer to help me get through that day. They are so important to me as I work the program. Now, men. As I grew up, I was overweight. And I needed to be extra friendly and have the big smile and the twinkling eyes and make good eye contact and touch. So people wouldn't tease me. So people wouldn't tease me. I don't know if anyone relates to that. And when I lost weight, men started looking at me, and I didn't know what to do. I panicked because I was still looking them in the eye, and I was smiling, and I was touching them, and they were looking back at me. And so I, it was real interesting because, like before, I'd go home, and, and without clothes on, I'd look in the mirror, and everything was down um, because of my surgery, because of the C-section, because of... Um, it's a stretch mark, but yeah, my husband and I tease that I have the map of the United States. It's not quite the same thing, but, you know, everywhere. And so, and then with clothes on, I looked okay. And that was very confusing for me. There were days I looked in the mirror, and I was 285 pounds. Then I looked in the mirror, and I was 140. Delusional, delusional thinking completely. So, I thought, since I'm supposed to be pretty on the outside, this is just for me. I decided to start bleaching my teeth till they were completely white because that's what the girls in the books do. I went to the suntan booth till I was fried. And I bleached my hair platinum blonde. Now, there's nothing wrong with the three of those things. Feel free. I was doing it in complete insanity. Insanity because I cared what other people thought of me and how I looked because up here was really messed up. You see, I'm an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. I will, you know, go to a meeting or talk, and, and I will know it all. You know, I will know it all. Or I'll, you know, make myself look good. And then I'll get in the car and sob and say, stupid, 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 stupid. How could I do that? Because the extremes, the black and the white, and what programs taught me is the gray. Gray, gray, gray. Think gray. And the only way to think gray is humility. I needed to do step work on my body image. I've been through the steps a number of times. Uh, I didn't say I came back in a program when I was 30 years old. Um, so I missed a little bit there. And one of the times I did the steps, it was on body image. 
And I needed to do one, two, and three. I can't. God can. I think I'll let God. I needed to do four and five. I needed to write that inventory with the three columns and the big book inventory and pay real attention to the resentments I had, to the fears that I had regarding body image, and to my conduct to other people and my sexual conduct. I was amazed at how long that was on just one subject that I needed to share it with another person. Six and seven, seven's my favorite step. I don't know if we're supposed to have favorite steps, but seven's my favorite. I did six, I was ready to get rid of them, and seven, I just needed to say that prayer, and I don't do anything else. I don't do anything with that seven step, because that's God's problem. He's going to remove it when he's ready. I need to be willing, keep doing the third step, and it's remarkable what's been removed in my life. I did steps eight and nine, and wrote down who I needed to make amends to, and in nine, I made many, many amends. I didn't think that was going to be necessary just with body image, but there's a lot of ways I acted inappropriately and hurt a lot of people. And 10, 11, 12, it's something I need to do daily because I am so not perfect in this. I will still have really not good days at all. And then there are other days I feel fine. And um, it's just really important. It was important to have that spiritual awakening and to be able to um, work with another compulsive overeater. That's been a big part of it. Oh, side note, I was flying here, and I just got in the new Lifeline, if you guys have seen it, with the orange front, and I was re- uh, or I walked in, and the plane was almost full, and there was one man who was 350, 400 pounds, I'm not sure, sitting there, and no one was sitting by him. I love that. I love, because people feel uncomfortable, I love sitting and rubbing hips sometimes, <laughs> because I know what that's like without people sitting next to me. And I sat down with him, and he kind of went to the side, and I said, oh, get over here. That doesn't bother me. We talked a little bit. I read the lifeline, and when I was done, I passed it on. I said, this isn't religious, because he had that look. And I said, I said, here, this is just a program that I work, and I, and I like to share it with people. And he said, thank you. He started looking through it, and he looked, and he said, thank you for this. Yeah, I'll probably never see him again. Oh, maybe at a conference. Who knows? But that's what keeps me in a place where I need to be. I don't look at fashion magazines. That's part of, that's what helps me a lot because I really want to look like those girls. I really, really, really do. And it's not going to happen. And my husband and I have a, um, (laughs) my husband's good people. He's good people. We've been through everything in 15 years and managed to keep it together. And, you know, there are some things where he won't comment on my weight. He won't comment on my weight. He's been with me 140, 285, always said I love you, any way that you are, every hairstyle, every color I was sharing before. He said, I don't need any other women in my life. I'm with a new one every single day. (laughs) And so... What he says, instead of saying, you look like you've lost some weight, he says to me, you look good in that dress. You look very attractive in that dress. I really like your hair today. And my favorite, I love this one. 
you are very pleasing to the eye today. I love that one. But he won't comment on my weight. And that's something I'm very, very grateful for because I'm hard enough on myself. And I'm very grateful for a husband that does that. Now, we talked about the last section. We talked a little bit about stomachs. And like I said, everything hangs. And I had something called a flap or an apron or I'm not too sure. And I started getting into running. And it, it, you know, you guys know what I'm saying. Hit, hit, hit. It was a, it was a good one too. And hygiene was a problem with that. And wearing clothes was a problem with that. And I went to my sponsor. I said, so I've got this thing. And I don't know what to do with it. Do I keep it? Do I get rid of it? What do I do? And she said, do you love it or do you hate it? I said, oh, I hate it. Are you kidding me? And she goes, well, just a suggestion. Don't ever tell me what to do, by the way, or my ears will shut down. I need suggestions and experience, strength, and hope. Just a suggestion is um, try to get to like that and pray about it. And I worked for months. God getting down on my knees and saying, please help me accept my stomach the way that it is. And finally, it did, I did writing on my stomach. And there was a day where I felt good about it. I felt like that's where I'm supposed to be. And I went back to my sponsor and told her. And she said, good. Now my suggestion is asking if you're supposed to get that removed or not. Now that you've accepted it and you like it. And I went, Oh, so I started working on that, and I felt like it was okay, you know, and that's between me and God. People have asked me before, what should I do? Go talk to your higher power. I'm not saying a thing. But I know that after that, she said, let me see, let me see, and I showed her, and I started crying because I missed that. I missed that part of me, and then I needed to learn acceptance about the stomach that I ended up with, and I know some of this might sound crazy, but we've, we've been through a lot together, this body and myself. And um, I want to get back to the point I started with, with my daughter with autism. When I found out she was autistic, I think any mother would do this. I think that I did it, you know, that I had done something wrong. And I went and got down on my knees. And I was going to say to God, is this my fault? Is this my fault? And I couldn't even get the words out. And this overwhelming feeling came over me that she's exactly the way she's supposed to be. And she's perfect. She's not going to be perfect to people on the outside. When I share my daughter has autism, most people, most people say, oh, I'm sorry. And oh, you know. And, and I just want to say she's perfect. And this is what it comes down to with my belief, for me, is we are all perfect. I don't care what weight we are, because in the image of our higher power or our maker, we are exactly where we're supposed to be right now. The speaker last night talked about, you know, he needed to go that one pound over to hit that bottom. So, the goal for me is to accept my body where it is today and to love myself the way that my maker loves me. 
and to realize I came into program because my life was unmanageable. Not the weight. I have to remember my life unmanageable. The weight might be a part of that, but for me, it wasn't unmanageable for my for my higher power. That's my stuff. You know, he's just waiting to help when I ask. And um, so what it comes down to is body acceptance and to hope that today the message I know, I feel, and I hope that, that has been put across is that we need to just love ourselves exactly the way that we are. Thank you. I just wanted to remind everybody that the Ask It Basket is going around. Continue to sign up, and uh, after the last speaker, we'll be taking questions. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. My, our next speaker is Karen. <laughs> okay, hold on to the squeeze. Sorry about that. One more time. Sorry out there. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Karen. I'm a compulsive overeater. And if you had said to me once upon a time that I would be talking uh, at a workshop on body image, I would have shook my head and thought that you um, really just didn't know me at all because at a very early age I decided that, um, not like I decided I didn't have a body, but I decided that what it looked like didn't matter. Because if you really cared about me or you really cared at all, you would look at what was behind the body and it was me. It was just me. And that was the way I deluded myself because um, I knew from a very early age that I didn't have a chance in the world at losing weight, I didn't have a chance in the world at, at staying on a diet, and that my destiny was to be like my family. I have a grandfather who was over 300 pounds, my mother was overweight, my father was overweight, my sister, my brother, um, only one brother. Actually, just before he died, he was a little overweight too. It's just, and all the relatives and everybody. Um, I can remember uh, getting together with the family for all the holidays, for, for Rosh Hashanah and for Pesach and for Hanukkah and everything else. and. Thanksgiving, and, and the women would be in the kitchen uh, cooking and talking about losing weight and eating <laughs> while they were talking about it, and the men would be talking about whatever they were talking about, and I'd usually be with the kids, because I was the, I'm the second oldest of all the grandchildren in my generation. And twist it up here, there we go. Um, so I, I think I tried a commercial weight loss program once, and then again I tried it without actually going to the meetings. And one time I think I got weighed and I lost like three and a quarter pounds. I was in seventh grade. And I can still remember being at, the, at this place and being up on the stage and wearing, you know, hot pants because those were in way back then, so short shorts or whatever they called them. And that was great. That was great. And I remember standing up there and the person who weighed you or whatever said, you know, take a bow or take a spin. And I remember spinning around, you know, twirling around at, you know, 11 or 12 years old because I lost three and a half pounds or three pounds or something. And, uh, but, again, I decided a long, long time ago that weight didn't matter. And I think that was my defense mechanism. Um, what I actually started out wanting to say is that I, I am exceedingly grateful to be here. I, I'm very touched to be standing up in front of uh, all of you wonderful and lovely people and being able to um, ask God to remove me and to say what needs to be said to be of service to him and the people in the room. So I've really prepared very well. I've prepared pretty much nothing except for some pages in the For Today book that I like. Um, just by way of numbers and qualifications, you know, another thing I'm thinking about, I've been in this program for 20 
and one half years approximately. But who's counting? And there's a part of me, a much smaller part than there ever used to be, that says I have to look better than I look for to, to be a demonstration of this program. I am carrying 40 or 50 extra pounds now. Um, I, I was abstaining for about 12 and a half years, had a family tragedy, went into a raging relapse, put on 40, 50 pounds, whatever, um, and went through hell. Got abstinent again. I'm abstaining not quite five years now. It ain't pretty. It's not perfect. Um, but uh, I have hope. And if there's, any, if there's any single message, single message that I would love for anybody, even one person to walk out with, is the message of hope. Because I've been coming here. The only thing I've done well, the two things I've done consistently and well for the past 20 and a half years, one of those is to come to meetings and be part of this program, and the other one is breathe. Nothing else have I done, and I don't even always do that very well, as I'm told, particularly at night. <laughs> Apologies to my roommate. Um, so actually, I, I, there's some really cool, uh, lots of really cool readings in here, and I discovered a few of these. I'm, I'm on the uh, Los Angeles Intergroup Board of Directors, and I um, facilitate the, we do workshops three times a year. We do writing workshops, and on June 10th, we did one on body image. And so I flipped through all of these, uh, the, the books to find out really, um, really useful readings. And this one is on April 6th, for those of you who might want to look at it later. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the part that I like is what is self-acceptance? Because for me, body image issues, I don't know if they start with self-acceptance, but self-acceptance is, is a major, major part of it. Because if I accept myself as I am, then I shouldn't have issues with my body, I think. I don't know. Some of this I'm figuring out as I stand here and talk to you. So <laughs> what is self-acceptance? Does it mean accepting my good qualities and rejecting others? No. Self-acceptance means taking myself just as I am and liking all of me with no conditions. I may not like being fat but it has nothing to do with liking the person that is me. I am not my fat. Nor am I my shyness. Oh, I don't have any of that. Nor am I my uh, physical awkwardness or my straight hair. There is far more to me than any of these characteristics. Even if I were to list every one of my known attributes, it would still not reveal all there is to know about me. For today, it's not a sign of pride, but humility to know that I am unique and beautiful. Um, I think it was, I don't remember if it was a morning session or this session that I heard, I heard people using the word fat. I could never use the word fat. But even saying it right now, it makes my skin crawl a little less than it used to. But I couldn't even use the word overweight. Overweight is what I use. Because oh, the word fat to me is um, a sword. It's a weapon. It's a, it, it lashes me. It cuts me. And it hurts me. It's not one that I like very much. But um, one of the... You know, I was going to say this for the big whoop-de-doo ending, but the thing that's so critical to me and the thing that, the, the, another message that I think is so important is, you know, I've heard for years in meetings, when I'm thin, my life will be perfect. When I lose weight, I'll get the better job. I'll get the guy. I'll get the girl. I'll get the guy and the girl. <laughs> to each their own, right? <laughs> Um, you know, and and therefore, I will not do anything until then. I'll start my diet tomorrow. Everything will happen tomorrow. 
And I used to have this relationship with, with what I call God, where if I do this, then God will do that. It was this bartering thing. But there's this pervading sense that I've um, felt a lot in program and heard a lot and probably carried around a lot myself that I didn't realize is I can't really live my life until I lose my weight. I can't really get out there and do things because I'm overweight, or as I can almost say now without cringing, because I'm fat. Um, but I stand here as a living example in my own mind of, and in my life, but that's not true. The art of living is probably the highest form of personal expression. One is not concerned with who is behind or ahead, but rather with the enjoyment of now. I, sh I am not concerned that I don't look as good as you. I'm not concerned that I don't have the best whatever that you have. Uh, it's my life. There is no waiting for a payoff for that day when certain things are settled or when that ship comes in or when I lose my weight or when I fix all my problems or dot, dot, dot. The art of living requires that I like myself, accept what I am, and stop wishing I were otherwise. There's no room for pretense. People who have developed the art of living are sweetly loving and deeply sensitive while maintaining their independence. I think I'm that way. It's hard for me to say that. They are respectful of their own values and opinions as those of others. For today, I'm looking to others in the program for help. I'm careful not to deny my own right of discovery. Would you mind handing me my water, please? I'm beginning to get a dry mouth. And if anybody wants to go back and look at that, that's on... Um, January 15th. But the, the first one that I read seems to be a lesson to me. I am not very good at telling people how good I am. And I was just in a, um, doing some trauma work, getting some help with some traumas that I've experienced. And we talked about my strength and my assets and my good things and my gifts and everything else. And I come from a place of having almost no self-esteem. So growing up my entire life, I would boast and brag and tell you things about me, whether they were true or not, to get you to like me. Because there was no way you were going to like me just because of who I was. It's just, I didn't like myself, so how could, how could you? So for me, when I hear other people from the podium talk about how cool they are and how wonderful things they do, I go, yeah, right on. But when I do it, it feels inappropriate. But I'm going to practice this inappropriate behavior because I want to be able to, um, I want to, be able to acknowledge God's handiwork. I want to be able to acknowledge that if I can do this, and anybody here can. Here's what I mean about my weight doesn't have to stop me. Now, mind you, the first time around, I, I was 26 when I came into OA, and I lived by myself. I had a job where I was woefully underpaid. Um, I, uh, I, had, <laughs> I had a job for a while um, where there were guys coming in from all over the country and all over the, all over the world. They would be at, were at my place of work for a week or two and sometimes three, and then they'd go. And there was this whole certificate program, so many of them would come back again. And I had, you know, every couple of Mondays we'd have a new class. And pardon the expression, but I was like a kid in a candy store. Because I'd look around and decide which one I wanted to pick and see if there was, you know, sometimes there'd be little vibes back and forth. And that guy was my guy for the time that they were there. I'd have sex. I would get taken out to dinner because I had no money. I had my gas paid for, and that's how I survived. I, you know, my mother called it my alley cat phase. And, uh, <laughs> There's nothing my mother didn't know about me. God love her. She loved me anyway. Um, but I, that was how I could survive. And actually, during that time period is when I came into OA. And I remember one day 
um, realizing that I didn't want to treat myself that way anymore. I just I didn't because I, I think I suppose if it came right down to it I was I was prostituting myself. I convinced myself though that I was using them just as much as they were using me. I was getting dinners. I was getting taken to places. I one year they bought I got a, a pass at the um, Queen Mary and Spruce Goose, and one time I got you know I got taken. I mean all this stuff that I got to do, uh, and all I had to do was sleep with you, and that wasn't so hard. Um, now it's a little bit more difficult. Now I'm a, I'm a one woman woman, one woman woman, and uh, and while I do sleep with others, I don't have sex with them. Um, but there are a few people who know what that means. <laughs> okay, the one laughing the loudest knows what that means. Uh, sorry, it's a it's a long a long a long joke about being roommates at OA events. So here's the deal. I I uh, I hate when people do that. I'm terribly sorry. I'll explain afterwards if you really want to know. I um I I relapsed. Uh, after my youngest brother was murdered and carried on in that relapse for quite some time and um, somehow in 2001 came out of that. But I want to tell you what I did during that period of time because I think it's really important to know that just because we're not at the weight we want to be doesn't mean our life can't go on. I decided uh, as a direct result of my little brother that I wanted to become an attorney. So I, I mean, there's a lot of details. I'll skip the details. But while in relapse, I started law school. I, I worked full time during the day. I went to school at night. The, the about a week, about ten days before my third year of law school, it's a four-year program at night. My mother died, and she'd been dying a long, slow death for six months anyway. Um, I graduated law school in four years, just on time with the program, and I graduated with honors. And I'm getting goosebumps. And Thank you, and thank God, and my study group. <laughs> um, and, I, and I'm now a practicing attorney at a very reputable, wonderful, delightful firm, and they treat me very well. And I tell you that, again, not because I want you to think I'm anything particularly special, but because I want, again, I know I'm not supposed to tell you what you, anyway, I, I, I want everybody to have what I have. I want everybody to have the confidence to know that even if I'm overweight, if I'm underweight for people who purge or are anorexic, if whatever, my life does not depend on my body. I am not my body. I am my heart. I am my soul. I am my higher power. I am the. F there are people in this room that I've known since I came into this program, that I've known for these 20 plus years. The, this is what defines my life. <clears throat> I brought some some pictures to show my friends here. Um, last week, uh, last Saturday, last weekend, uh, I went to Knott's Berry Farm as a, a firm picnic with, with my family members. And I have two nephews, uh, my surviving brother's son and my late brother's son, who I love more than air, absolutely more than air. And I was in here earlier today, and somebody, one of the questions that was written is, what's the most important thing in your life? And honestly, it wasn't, what popped in my mind wasn't my program, wasn't God, wasn't my abstinence wasn't even my partner, it was those boys. Um, it's my desire to live a good and honorable life. It's my desire to live the life that my late brother is not going to get to live. It's my desire to model appropriate behavior for those two little guys, my 13 and 12-year-old nephew, who um, are the world to me. But not just to them. I, mean, I, I think that I have an opportunity standing here in front of all of you, all in various stages of recovery just because we're here. We may not be abstinent right now, but I believe that just by being here, we're all in some stage of recovery. 
and I can be a living example for people who have gone through struggles and through traumas and through pain, and I think we all have. We all have our own stuff. I've never met anybody who doesn't have overwhelmingly difficult and painful things. We just do. But, not but, and there's an answer and there's a solution. And I have just recently found this incredible new willingness. This is 20 years later. Now, here I think after 20 years I should have it together. I should have it together. I should be able to eat, not perfectly but well, thank you, not perfectly but well. I should be able to make appropriate choices. Of course, I don't believe that I have the power of choice in my food. What I eat is a, a direct, in direct proportion to my fit spiritual condition and my relationship with my higher power. But not too long ago, I realized I wanted to shake things up a little bit. Or God told me I needed to shake things up a little bit. And I um, changed sponsors, got a new sponsor. And I'm about to make a shift in some of my meetings. I'm switching a meeting that I've been going to forever. Uh, and I'm probably going to stop going to that one and focus more on a different one because I do need to sleep in some mornings. Um, and when I say sleep in, I'm saying instead of 6, I get up at 7.30 or 8. It's not like a big sleep in. Um, but what I've found is God has seen fit to bestow upon me a different attitude that I haven't had in a long time. I, I still think, I mean, I, I still, I still, actually, somebody said to me two weeks, I guess it was two weeks ago, touched my heart in a way I'll never be able to explain. He said to me, Karen, you're a seeker. You seek. You have things that are going on and you seek to find ways to deal with them. And he complimented me about that. I'm getting goosebumps. And it was, it was so meaningful to me when he said that. And I've, I shared that with my partner and a few others. And it just, because life is a quest. Life is a journey. And it's a wonderful journey. I remember when I first got into program in all my egocentric self, I used to say, you know, this is the journey of self, and the journey of self is the greatest journey of all. And I still think in a way it is. But for me, it's more about what can I do to make, other, make the world better, make the world a better place. And this is a dichotomy I've always struggled with. If I am doing things for other people because I believe that's what God's will is for me, and it makes me feel good, I feel good doing, well, doing good for others. Is that being selfish because of the benefits that I get? I still haven't. Nobody's ever really explained that to me. And that's not why I do it. I don't do it because I feel good, but I get these great gifts. So why would I not? Um, I, I just wrote down something as I was sitting there. I'm remembering, speaking of uh, little nephews, when we were in line at one of these graduates, we were sitting and eating lunch. My youngest, no, the oldest of my two nephews, he has this thing where well, he always, he's very physical and very touchy. And he'll start playing with the, the fat that hangs under my arm. He just sort of caresses it, and he just sort of, and um, he doesn't say anything. It's just like, I think, it's, I think it may be a soothing thing for him, because my mother was his primary caretaker for a long time before she died. And she, and he, she was, I mean, her, she was much bigger than I am now. And I remember sitting there being, I mean, he probably wasn't even aware he was doing it. And I remember being very aware of it and being conscious of the size of my arms. And I thought, well, maybe this is bringing him some sort of relaxation. Maybe it's a connection to, to, to Grandma Ricky, to my mother. Um, and even though I was so aware of having this fat hanging off my arms, it was kind of, my gosh, there's some benefit to it. And, and I remember, you know, <laughs> the thing, you know, I get so twisted with body image. You know, my mother, again, my mother, uh, we were all big. And, boy, when I hug, I hug, and I hug big. And I, because everybody I know or, uh, in my family were big. And you can squeeze hard and you don't break anybody. But I'll tell you what, I knew somebody for years and years and years, a really good friend of mine. I, I used to babysit her son, and we became very good friends, and she was the tiniest little thing. 
I mean, I think she was a size negative something. She was so tiny. I was always afraid to hug her because I thought I would snap her in two. So I don't know where that came from, but there it was. But I, I know that my time's about to run out, so I'm going to read one more thing. And again, encourage, if I can, by example or by words, to recognize that there's no need to wait. There's no need to wait. Live now. You know what? I don't get to do this again. When I'm gone, I think I'm gone. I, you know, I may be reincarnated, but I'm not going to be reincarnated as Karen S. I'm going to be, I, mean, I don't know if I believe in reincarnation or not, reincarnation or not. But I don't think I get to come back and do it again. So I want to do it all now and not miss anything. So, hope. This is November 28th. <laughs> Just after Thanksgiving, no surprise. Hope is the risk that must be run. Hope is risky. Have I tried and failed? Try again. The big book says if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. Going to any length means taking 12 specific steps one day at a time and never being finished. In the process, sanity will be restored and abstinence will become a reality, no matter how long it takes. So they'll stay there. But, you know, 20 years in program, four and a half years abstinence. Hope and willingness are the springboards to recovery. The hope of being healed of my illness is a risk I am willing to run today and every day. For today, I have hope or I wouldn't be in OA. Do I have the willingness to take that leap into the steps, into abstinence? Well, Monday, I am meeting with my new sponsor. She said, expect to be with me for about an hour and a half. I don't know exactly what we're doing except for going through the big book. Because I have hope, and I know just by looking around and by watching all of you for all these years that the miracles are here, the recovery is here, the gifts are here, because you are here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. It's time now for our Ask a Basket questions. And afterwards, we're going to be uh, opening it up for floor speakers. So think about if you want to um, speak, we'll be signing. You'll need to sign in and start lining up over here. And maybe Tom will monitor your signing. Uh, question I have here. What do you do when you reach your lost body weight and you feel scared regarding you're not good enough to look good or the way men and friends comment and look at me. It's not addressed to anybody. Would anyone like to answer that? There are two things I do. One is negative, which is eat. And then the second thing I do is I call my sponsor and just have my sponsor deal with me on this, go to meetings, lean into my program, because as I get real close to that point, all of my feelings just kind of overwhelm me, and the only thing I know to do in a good way is to just really lean into the program. How do you find a sponsor in your area, in your area, aren't a, if all aren't a good fit and others are all full, do sponsors, do they do sponsorship online? Yes, they do sponsorship online. And it's just 
You want to comment on yeah. that? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, they, they do do sponsorship online, but I'm going to address the other part of how do you find a sponsor when everyone's on a good fit. Um, the, the woman that I asked to sponsor me has not raised her hand and introduced herself as an available sponsor at meetings. And so um, one day I shared about something. She actually came up to me and she said, you know, if you just want to call, call your food and call whatever, because she knew I was having a particularly tough time. But I got it in my mind. God put it in my mind to ask her to sponsor me anyway. And I went up to her and I said, I know you're not raising your hand as an available sponsor, but would you be willing to sponsor me anyway? And before I finished the sentence, she said yes. So, I mean, and, and, and for me, the other thing about they're not, you know, they're all not a good fit. If there really is nobody else to choose from, I would find somebody who's the closest fit because I don't think this program is workable without a sponsor, even if it's not the perfect sponsor. And nobody says you have to keep one sponsor for a long time. I've had many, many sponsors in my years here. But the thing is, find somebody. And good luck. After weight loss, how do you deal with being attractive? How do you deal with the intimacy that can come when we take, take off the weight of our bodies and out of our minds. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, for me, I don't always feel attractive even with the weight off. Um, it's something I, this was answered before, something I do daily. Um, the men issues, yeah, call the sponsor. I can't look a man in the eye. He looked at me. I looked at him. You know, be accountable. That's not the kind of person I want to be. And um, and it's okay to be attractive. Real quick, I had a sponsee call me up and say, I want to do Mary Kay, but I'm afraid because would that be too vain? Oh, I didn't answer that. And I said, I said, are you doing it because of your ego? Are you doing it because it'd be fun? You want to make a few bucks? Well, because of that, you know, and, and it's okay to be pretty. It's okay for us to fix ourselves up. Can having abstinence of three meals a day really lead to weight loss? It's a good question. It's a good question, and I say yes because that was my experience. When I first came into OA, oh, I didn't say this. When I first came into OA, I didn't come in to lose weight. I came in because I couldn't stop eating. Because remember, I decided weight wasn't an issue. For me, once I started coming to meetings and somebody said, well, just try this three meals a day, nothing in between thing. I couldn't do three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar, no flour, no blah, blah, blah. I couldn't do that because that meant I had power and control and I did not. But I could have a breakfast, have a lunch, and have a dinner. And when I first started, they were big. And I remember being petrified at lunchtime. I had to make sure that I would eat enough to hold me till dinner time. And I ate, I ate big meals and I ate everything. What I found is, as I started giving service and going to meetings, I, I did all, you know, meetings at the uh, service at the meeting level and at the intergroup level. As I started going to meetings and working the steps and focusing on the program, by itself, my food got smaller. I never to this day, I still can't focus on my food. I have to focus, for me, on the, on the, sorry, the spiritual and the emotional and my relationship with God and these steps. And the food cleans up by itself. And I don't know my top weight because at 199, I didn't step on the scale again. I didn't want to see 200, but, of course, I had to get bigger clothes. And all the weight that I lost 
three meals a day, nothing in between. So my experience is yes. And before I answer this one, do either of you want to go to this one? Or? Okay, I'll just do this next one then. Um, if weight doesn't define who we are, but for me it defines how I respond to life, how does you change how you respond to life? Well, first off, I have, uh, you know, to me, in my, in my mind, this is the first step. I've, this person has just realized, or maybe knows, I respond to life based on my weight. I know that until I'm aware of a problem or something I like to have different about me, I can't do anything. So that's the first thing. For me, what it was is watching other people in the program model behavior and watching other people that I knew who, who of all different sizes. And again, it all, for me, it came, about a pro, it came about as a process and a result of working the steps because I started learning truths about myself and I read the literature enough which helped me to realize that, again, I'm not my weight, I'm not my fat. And the truth is, somebody said this morning, this society does treat fat people differently than thin people. It just happens that way. But I choose to be around people who don't do that. Nobody in this room has ever, or in these rooms, has ever treated me any differently, whether I was, you know, look decent or way overweight. So, so I learned it in here first. After I learned it in here, then I could learn it out there. By the way, before I forget, I'd like to make sure I get my pictures back. And did anybody notice I have a Twinkie in my left hand in the, ba in the little baby picture of the first one? I didn't notice that for years now. Um, the question is, I have been normal weight for many years and have a problem with using the word thin about myself. I feel like I'm lying. I am really a not thin. I'm a fraud. Have any of you ever felt that way? How do you reconcile your head to your true body size? And, you know, I've had many experiences since I've slimmed down where I was at a conference one time and someone said, and you, you know, the slim guy in the back of the room. And I sat there. I had no idea who they were talking about. <laughs> and because it's not how I identify myself. And then the other thing is I've had people um, say, oh, you know, particularly when I first lost a lot of weight, people were just, you know, telling me these things. And it was almost unbearable, you know, in terms of, you know, part of my disease will say, you know, look at me, and then how dare you stare. You know, it's a weird, it's a weird, funny thing. Um, you know, the, the truth is, I think as much as I have to own myself as a compulsive overeater, my job is to really own myself as a right-sized person, which is really, really hard to do. But, you know, I, I think of this question, it, it's very uncomfortable. I've looked at myself one way for a really long time, but that was whacked out. And I think it's really important to just be truthful and see myself for how I am. And not so much for me, you know, like my fellows and my sponsors will all direct me in the ways I can't see myself. But the truth is, if I'm reaching out to someone who's new to this program and really just don't own the fact that I'm right-sized, I don't know that I can be of as good a service to other people. So it's just, once I can think about other people, I can navigate through the territory, but it's really hard to reshape that, um, that self-image, particularly when it carries a lot of pain and negative thinking around it. 
what can I do to love my body and suggestions for telling yourself your body um, and, my, and yourself good enough? I really like this. I didn't used to like my hair until my nephew got cancer and all his hair fell out. My face, because of the bulimia, all hairs broke out and it's scarred. It's going to be like that. That's acceptance. Um, you know, my sister told me once I had man hands. So I grew up my whole life thinking I had man hands. And it wasn't until that acceptance, I should be a piano player. Those are some great hands. You know, it's thinking about things like that. And my favorite little thing to do is that I have this little imaginary basket in front of me. And if you say my hair is brown and you say my hair is auburn and you say it's bleached too and you don't and you don't or, or I put color up here and ten people have a different idea of what the color is, how am I supposed to know what the answer is? Because I want to be validated by all of you. So how do I choose? And I have it in my basket where whether it's a positive comment or a negative comment, I throw it in front of me, then I go over it later with God and decide what to take and not to take. Kind of like I didn't really finish, but I did. <laughs> Thank you. Give Maul a hand for answering your question. We now have uh, our three-minute shares. Please line up at the sign here, at the side here, and uh, Tom will have you sign in. Uh, limit your shares to three minutes. Our timer will be timing you. Please stick to the topic and sign the release. Thank you. I'm Betsy, and I'm Coastal Breeder, and I'm from Eureka, California. I'm the only one from Humboldt County here. But I, I started in San Diego, so, um, and I did spend three months in San Diego this year, so. I, I see a lot of San Diego people out there. But uh, I gave up 150 pounds. And I am, um, I have given up this amount of weight many times over the past 32 years I've been in OA. And I've always gotten it back. This time I have maintained it so far, a year and a half. This is a miracle. But I'm still scared to death to walk around in a thin body. Uh, and I'm, I'm wearing shirts that are tight on purpose because, you know, um, this is the body I have. And I, I need to show it and, and say to the world, this is, this is me. I love this about my arms. You know, I love that little story. My grandkids play with this. And and I, I allow them to pet me. That they, they, they love me. They pet me. That's, that's what, you know, and I'm not going to have it cut off because that they pet me. And, and I, you know, their, their mother kind of gets mad at them. And I said, don't do that. They, they love that. that they feel, um, and I wasn't allowed to do that with my grandmother. So, uh, I mean, we didn't, we weren't a huggy, cuddly family, and I needed that. I needed it so bad. And I do get that here, and I, I am able to pass that on to my kids. But yes, Bonnie Image is a big issue for me. Thank you. 
My name is Crystal. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. I'm very grateful to be here. I am so grateful for this workshop. Thank you for all the things I'll take home with me. Um, I wanted to share with you something that someone has passed on to me. Interestingly enough, she's here also. Um, I've been in program, it'll be two years in September, and I've maintained about, uh, I lost 65 pounds, which I've kept off for a year now, been within three pounds of the same weight, which has never in my life, ever, happened. Thank you. Um, about 10 months into program, no, well, a little over a year ago, I, I, more than that, a year and a half ago, I started getting petrified. Um, I didn't know. I, I had been over 200 pounds for 20 years since I was 20 some odd years old, and I had never looked in the mirror's face. I had never been this weight since before I was a teenager. Um, didn't know how to be a lovely person of normal size in the world, and when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see myself. I saw my sister, whose life is a wreck, actually, but uh, it's still very difficult. Um, and after listening to you, I'm thinking what I need to accept is my sister. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I wanted to pass on was I was having so many problems with, with my body being scared, and I talked to a lovely, lovely woman, um, lovely woman, who's been in program for many years, and what she said to me was that people had found that if you didn't accept your body, Within the first two years or so of, of having it, you got your old one back. And a switch flipped inside of me. I'll never be more grateful for that than I, I can't tell you. A, a switch flipped inside of me, and I said to myself, I accept. I'm not going back for anything in the whole world. And it didn't get rid of all of the fear, but she also suggested that I do some mirror work. And that scared me. But I spent some time in front of a mirror telling myself I loved myself. And the other thing I finally did about nine months after that was um, I love to dance. And I, last January, took a, a dance, signed up for a modern dance class twice a week, thinking I finally could get into that leotard. And you know what? There were women in that class the same size that I was before. And one of the biggest gifts to me was watching the joy that they had dancing. And I realized that I didn't need to deprive myself of that joy either. And... Um, the last thing that I I found was is that little fold thing. You know, it's been almost two years, and a lot of it, it's still kind of there, but I just needed to be patient. I really did. And the dance class helped because I started doing some sit-ups and things, but it took a lot longer than I thought I just had to accept that little fold, and I did. Um, but, and the gift I got is that it started to go away some. And so I just needed to wait a little longer. So those are the things that people have given me that I wanted to share back with you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Shirley, a real recovering compulsive overeater. Um, this month, I'll be celebrating 14 years in program with over 12 years of absence since the last year. Um, I've really debated about sharing this um, in front of everybody, knowing it's going on tape, but um, I do identify myself as real, 
and that means um, just to tell the truth, um, to be who I am. Um, basically, what happened to me was um, even after um, I had released over 100 pounds, there was this um, middle section in my stomach. And I've been dealing with it for over 14 years. So that meant every time I went to the bathroom, I would have to lift it up and down. Every time I took a shower, I would have to lift it to wash it. When I got out of the shower, I had to um, dry it and lift it up. I did that for um, 14 years. And finally, um, when all the weight came off, um, my husband and I, we talked about it, and he said, okay, if you can maintain this for a year, um, he said, you know, you can have plastic surgery. And, and I really debated about this because, you know what, I'm a compulsive overeater. I am compulsive about a lot of things. You know, and I talked to my sponsor about it, you know, and um, there's this part in the big book about having contempt prior to investigation. And so that was the suggestion from both my husband and my sponsor was to go check it out. So I dragged my husband with me. And um, the doctor got so excited when he saw my stomach. <laughs> because it was a part that he knew he could fix, you know. Um, and so in January, um, we did it. Um, he fixed it, you know. And But prior to going into the surgery, all of a sudden what had happened was I said to my sponsor, I said, you know what, now um, I'm noticing I'm having feelings of loss because I've been carrying this for 14 years, you know? And so she said, okay, before you go in there, um, she was suggesting that I be in acceptance of it. Not that I hate it and I want to get rid of it, but that I be okay with it. And, um, you know, it's not something that um, I would suggest, but, you know, it was an option for me. You know, the way that I look today is not the way that I looked in 1992. You know, it's been a transformation. And people who haven't seen me in a while, you know, it's like, wow, you look different. And it's like, you know, this is, this is who I am. And I'm just, you know, still in the process of just learning to love me. Um, and one final thing um, that a, a sponsor said to me was about, this is the size that I am today. I love and accept me just as I am. Thanks. My name is Denise and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody. I just have to say, to start off, that I'm incredibly grateful for the honesty on this panel. And um, I actually don't know what I'm going to say, which is actually pretty rare for me to get up here and actually not know what I'm going to say. Um, but I think what I want to say about body image is that it has plagued me my entire life. I started compulsively eating when I was two. I came into the program at 300 pounds. Um, and it didn't matter how much weight I lost. I never, it, I mean, it was... The only way I ever felt validated was if you told me that I looked good. And I've never 
Well, never is too strong a word. And we are addicts, so we tend to say things like never a lot. Um, I've rarely looked in the mirror at myself and said, it's okay. It's good. It's fine. It's good. And um, I think I got some tools here today, um, and I want to find out a little bit more um, about a four-step on body image. But, you know, I really feel like for me, for all of the reasons that I came into the program, including the fact that I was molested when I was really young, and I have a huge body image stuff about that, and that's when actually I started gaining weight, that there's a lot of safety issues that, um, that I need to address as a 50-year-old woman. I am no longer a child. And it's, you know, the mind, my mind is, um, I, I need to sort of grow up a part of my mind that doesn't really understand that I am actually capable of taking care of myself now in a small body and in a body that can move around in the world and look normal, even though sometimes I still feel like, um, I still feel like sometimes when I get on an airplane, I still need the extender. And I really, truly don't. <laughs> I have to remind myself, you know, you really don't need it. <laughs> Anybody notice me? Um, so I, I feel like in a lot of ways, the, the, a lot of the problems I've had, um, I came back from a relapse about eight years ago, and um, I feel like a lot of the, thank you, I feel like a lot of the problems that I've had with the back and forth with my food over the last few years, even since my relapse, has to do with how incredibly uncomfortable I am in my own skin. And that's um, not just body image, that's body everything. And um, I'm, I was, when I walked in today and I saw how many people were in this room, I have to be honest, it's the first time in a long time in OA that I really have not felt alone. Thank you. Hi, I'm Marianne, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I've been in the program almost two years, and I've lost 80 pounds. And I got up, thank you. I got up to speak um, on this topic because this is a topic that's plagued me my whole life. And um, and when I went into program and started to lose the weight, I got very nervous that when I got the weight off of me, because once before in my life for about a day, I got I got normal size. And as soon as I noticed men looking at me. I totally freaked out, and within an hour, I think I gained it all back. <laughs> um, and I was nervous as I approached normal weight, um, what it was going to be like to live in a normal-sized body. And what I what I think what I had to focus on actually was working the program and working the steps. And over time, eventually, I've learned to be integrated, but. I like to feel good and I like to be happy and I like to move and I always have. And when I was heavy, I had totally divorced myself from my body. And today I feel much more integrated. I'm not saying that my body doesn't matter. My body is part of who I am and it is how I travel through the world. So, um, so I think the whole issue of body image is extremely important because I think it held me back from losing weight. Um, it also held me back from being happy at a normal weight, it also got in my way when I got in a normal weight because that, then I was thinking all I was was my body. It was only my body. I was a normal size, so now I can eat. Um, so again, I really still wasn't very integrated. And the only thing that I'm finding works is that that I keep trying to use the whole program. 
and realize that it's three things. It's physical, yeah. It's emotional and it's spiritual. And on those three legs, I can stand up right. Thank you. Uh, my name's Bonnie. I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, it's, it's really great to see so many people. Um, I got up to talk because, mainly because my stomach hurt so bad, thinking about getting up to talk. I knew I really needed to say something. And uh, what I want to say is that I have the most, I've had the most distorted image of my body all my life. I can't tell when I'm fat. I can't tell when I'm thin. I can't tell when I'm look great, but I have noticed lately that if I put on makeup and I try to get dressed in a nice way that is appealing, that I do feel better. And one day, maybe I'll be able to do this on a, on a higher frequency. <laughs> Most of the time, that doesn't happen, but uh, these opportunities where these big gatherings is one that I really decided to celebrate today, and, um, and I, I feel pretty good. Um, anyway, I just really wanted to thank uh, the speakers. Did an incredible job, and to uh, say thank you. That's all the time we have. I want to thank Tom and Karen and Jennifer for speaking. I'd like to thank our timer, Marianne and Terry, for doing the Ask a Basket. Let us stand and hold hands and close with the OA promise. I put my hand in yours. I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for a power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Keep coming back. It works.